Hello there, my name is Freya Brolsma and welcome to another episode of Inside McLaren Applied, a podcast series that's all about taking you behind the scenes of this brilliant business and showing you the creative minds behind their success. In this episode, James Baldwin and I speak with McLaren Applied's Director for Motorsport, Matthias Dank. Motorsport on the surface, very easy to credit the results and the amazing performance to drivers and their ability. It's what the public see, it's what the fans see. Uh, But we know that data drives every decision, whether that's the driver in the car, engineers back at the factory. But it's no wonder then that we find that the Director of Motorsport for McLaren Applied is in fact a mathematician. Where did your love of numbers come from? Where did my love of numbers? Well, I think that's a common misconception. Uh, Mathematicians don't really love numbers. I think that's more with accountants. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) We honestly like to solve problems and solve riddles. I think that's where the love for mathematics comes from. Um, Yeah, basically that's it. So uh, it it is a very simple world. It's very unpolitical. Uh, There is only a right or a wrong. You have a set of rules that you base it all on and then everything beyond that is just logical. Uh, has an explanation and has a road leading to it. Is it a nice place to be in that simplicity of very black and white and and not political? Because, of course, and we'll get to talking a little bit more about motorsport and your journey, to have that as your foundation, uh, knowing that the data doesn't lie, exactly it, it is what it is, and so, yes, some political stuff can go on or people can be shouting and can all go all over the place, but you can say... Almost doesn't matter, guys, because this is what it says. Therefore, that is just what it is. I think it really helps us under, or, or helps you better understand even the politics behind it. Because at the end of the day, it's personal motivation. There are players behind that that have a, an intrinsic motivation and maybe an external motivation to it. And as soon as you understand that, things make just more sense than just being a random decision. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. The Let's talk a bit about motorsport then because, okay, you have an understanding of numbers and you enjoy its simplicity, let's say. But what's your first memory of motorsport and, and what was the impact that it had on you? First memory? St- being one of the older guys in here in the room is, uh, it was always fancy. It was fancy and there was sport behind it that was, the, the, those were the heroes, uh, people. It, it, very much the myth around the driver and, and, the, and the fame and the glory around the driver. So I think watching it as a kid, seeing it live on the racetracks as a kid, having even being an Austrian, having had famous Austrian drivers back then in Formula One, uh, brought some passion to it. But then at the end of the day, in the middle of uni, I always thought I'm never going to work in an automotive-based environment because even back then in the wow mid-90s, late 90s, that technology was more than 100 years old and I want to do something more modern to it. And here I am now. So when did you learn that actually that ability to apply problem solving and, and obviously a background um, in terms of your degree, that actually you would be working on incredibly modern problem solving um, in the world of motorsport? When I started automotive and then very soon motorsport, 
there were not too many mathematicians uh, in the industry. And at the same time, they were very much to, okay, so you, you do this math modeling and so you do simulation and, and you're pretty much stuck to it. But the big advantage as a mathematician, mathematicians don't, sol don't have any problems or the problems that mathematicians solve uh, have no relevance in the world. So there are very theoretical things behind that. Uh, computers have been invented 50 years before the first computer has been built. So the question could be, uh, does modern technology to sometimes look like it as it does because somebody dreamt it up or thought about it decades ago, or is that the only natural way there? But uh, the access to it, you you learn or your academic education is um, trying to see a solution to maybe where others don't even see a problem. So you come with a complete different set, tool set. If you compare that to classical engineering, uh, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, they have very real problems and then you know how to do that. Uh, but a mathematician, you put it onto a very abstract layer. It's, it, it's not a... You try to put a math model behind it. And the, the math model uh, to describe something that you see in the real world is always wrong. The question is, how good can it predict the future? So it can be, uh, you, can, you can model something to the most minuscule detail, uh, but then it, it is irrelevant because you will be never able to answer the question with it. Or is it good enough to solve the question? physics very much the same so uh, i don't know if you uh if you think about newton's laws newton's laws describe quite well how we see the planets in the world but then you see yeah but there's a deviation to it and that really doesn't add up and then you think about seeing it further uh and then you end up with relativity and then still some things don't work up then you end up with general relativity and math is just doesn't serve a purpose by itself, but it just helps solving these riddles and giving some more sense to it because math is a language where you can describe very complex phenomena that you see out there in the real world and not only technology, biology, chemistry, whatever you have out there to, to describe uh, these phenomena uh, up to a level that makes you on the one side better understand what's happening and implications. And if you think about dynamic systems, the, the interactions and cross interactions between different phenomena, uh, and then in a certain uh, bound or within certain boundaries to predict the future. Solving riddles is a big part of motorsport, always trying to go the fastest, always trying to understand what's going on with the car. And a big part of that starts very early on before the car is even built, before chassis and aero is even done, in simulation. And for you, you graduated university, you're a graduate engineer, specialized in technical mathematics, and you found yourself in working in automotive and, and motorsport in a simulation role. Was that exciting for you to step into that world after thinking, oh, I can't really get to that point from where I want to be? And to see all of these complex riddles that were existing with all of these different teams and OEMs and, and them all trying to figure out certain problems because I imagine you've got trying to do road cars and, and solving problems with efficiency in, in that space compared to, well, we need to find extra tenths or thousandths of a second on a racetrack can be exceptionally exciting to do but both different in that sort of rewarding sense. The excitement comes from a different angle. If you're, if you're at the racetrack, you're there with final product and the total excitement comes from this 
competitive comparison to all your uh, to your entire competition, are you going to win or lose? The excitement, if you go into the simulation side of it, actually you don't need simulation. We could build every... You have a lot of ideas what you could build. You build it, you test it. But there's not enough time and money in the world to do that all. So you try to find out methods to evaluate ideas at a very early beginning. And there we have these different levels of simulation. You can have a very, very simplistic model uh, that that helps you finding an answer at a very early stage. So starting in this in the simulation environment, um, you are confronted with all of the fancy ideas what we could do. There is a new regulation, so what are we allowed to do? What could we do? And then of all the ideas that you brainstorm, what could be done? And these ideas are not generated by a mathematician. These are ideas that are generated by people who understand their respective trade, uh, helping them to evaluate uh, which of these avenues uh, is most likely to be a successful one or not. So really drilling that down to you, you will still be building prototypes and you will still be testing. And the only need why you have that because your simulation will never be accurate enough that you can flush out all the problems or that you can properly anticipate the future. And then there's closing the loop and accompanying this process. So at the early stage, deciding on which avenue th you think is going to be most promising, uh, then distilling it down to, to, to getting less variance out and always accompanying that and taking the learnings when you measure something in the real world, when you see and observe something in the real world, how good was your model and constantly keep working on your model. And I think the current season of Formula One uh, with completely new regulations has shown that some people did a better job or did a worse job and it, were a little bit more lucky or had better models to begin with where they are now. And we now see, see several teams catching up, which means, okay, their plan Bs uh, obviously should have been the plan As, but let's let's try to get there. And that's the, that is also the very fascinating thing about motorsports. There is not a single optimum. Uh, if you were to build the fastest road car in the world, it would look nothing like a Formula One car might look something like a McLaren's B-Tail. So just to say one of those. <laughs> Which is a bloody good-looking car, let's be very honest. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, uh, we are not optimizing to the law, no, not solely to the laws of physics, but there's, it is an entertainment industry. Motorsports is entertainment. So you shake up the regulations and have some different aspects to it. You need to have a good show, which means overtaking, which means parity between the contestants. Nobody should have a too big of a competitive advantage. Uh, it needs to be appealing uh, also from the design to, to the end user. So we are shaking up all our regulations and all our laws regularly. And by that, start very often again from a clean sheet of paper, need to tie in the experience that we have from previous, uh, from, from, from previous engineering exercises and just tie in all our tools and methods that we can do to get the next best car under the circumstances we're racing in. You spent a long time with your previous employer before coming to McLaren applied, over 18 years. Yep. And starting really at the very bottom and then working way up through that time, what were some of the key challenges and exciting moments for you in that time? Because I imagine there were many, many of those. Uh, it's, it's, it's the changing of the times. I mean, back then, um, the focus that AVL had back then was very much powertrain or engine-centric. So we... we and, and the change together 
with motorsports and motorsport changed because of the automotive industry. When, when an engine was very important, a couple of years later, it was the powertrain. When the powertrain was important, we, we started to have more and more complex and efficient powertrains getting in hybridization and electrification. Now we're having the connected vehicle so that cars have more interaction with, 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 uh, their exterior surroundings and now we're going into self-driving. So there is a lot of technological change that kind of is reflected in motorsports because it is an entertainment industry. Being an entertainment industry, a lot of people like to watch it. So it is a good marketing platform. I mean, you could, if you want to market your product, motorsports is just one of, of the things you could do. You could go to performing arts. You could go to different sports like skiing, football, whatever you go for. Why, why decide going there? Because you want to showcase your technologies in something that are relevant, is, is relevant to you. Motorsport is an enormous catch-all for a lot of the different, um, I suppose, categories, two wheels, four wheels. Um, what are the key differences from your perspective in terms of mathematical side of things, um, the most notable differences between those different categories, whether it's F1, IndyCar, MotoGP, Formula E? Oh, from the – well – Four-wheeler motorsport is the one that's best researched and also on the simpler side. Uh, it has four wheels. It's, it's, it's even harder for a four-wheeled car to flip over. Uh, and still, if you think the interaction between the tire and the track is quite complex, nothing compared to the complexity that you have with interaction if you think about boats. Uh, think about power boating uh, with with the waves, with currents in there. And then there is this, another huge complexity in uh, the likes of two-wheeler motorcycle racing. It's the influence that the driver has to the vehicle dynamics. Uh, in a car, the driver is strapped into his car, into his seat. Uh, whatever the driver is doing there, pushing forces and momentum onto the bike, changing, dynamically changing the aerodynamics, getting out of his seat to be much of an air brake before he corners in, shifting weight, pushing the bike, pulling the bike. That is very, very complex. And at the moment, um, on the vehicle dynamic simulation, the, the math might be there, but nobody has yet spent the money uh, to really do a proper modeling of... Uh, a proper rider on a MotoGP, Moto3 bike, Superbike, whatever. What's been your favorite motorsport moment, both professionally and I'm also curious personally, what was the, what was your favorite thing to watch? Favorite thing to watch? Wow, there's, there's, there's so many different things because there is not, there is not one motorsport. Uh, Formula One, not only from the technology, but also from the, the spirit and the vibe behind it is completely different to what you see, I don't know, in MotoGP, what you see in NASCAR, what you see in World Endurance Championship, what you see in Rally. So there are a lot of experiences uh, if you get to drive along in a race car. And even if you understand the physics behind it, I think the scariest thing in there is not it's not the acceleration, it's not the deceleration, it's not the forces, it's not the speed through the corner. It's actually, if you have a, a proper aerodynamic car on slick tires, how late you break into the corner. It's got the ride along and uh, you think, okay, I would now back off throttle, but I know that I'm not a racing driver. <laughs> then half a second later, you think, yeah, but now we should. Half a second <laughs> later, you think, yeah, but now we're beyond, beyond the point of no return. 
and the driver is still wide open. And when he brakes, and and you have kind of, uh, if you're driving sporty cars, even by yourself, uh, you, you kind of have an impression on when you should brake. But when you actually really brake that, I think that is the scary thing. Um, I love the dynamics behind all of the motorsports. This winning or losing, it's this all or nothing. It's the... Um, it's 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 the ultimate answer you get every weekend, and that that never loses the excitement for me. Has there been a development that you've witnessed in your time working in motorsport that has impressed you the most? Yes, one the one development that impressed me uh, the introduction of the new of the current F one power unit regulations in twenty fourteen. Yes, it was a lot of complexity and 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 yada yada yada. But if you just put it back to the pure numbers, obviously mathematicians like numbers as well. Uh, what what Formula One managed to do is increase, a little bit the nerd talk, increase the total efficiency of the power unit beyond 50%. If you would have told me that would be, somebody would do that in 2014, I don't know. When I was at uni, starting as a young engineer, I would say, no, that's physically impossible. No, it is not physically impossible. We need to start pushing for it, and it was physically possible. But to put it in more tangible numbers, uh, in 2014, Formula One raced on the same performance than they did before and only used half the fuel. And that is amazing. It's amazing. With yeah. existing technology, with existing fuels. They just managed to do that within the term of three years' development to cut their fuel consumption by 50%. And by that, there's CO2. And by seeing that, does that change how you think about potential future problems in terms of things that you think of now that shouldn't be possible, but will be? Yes. And I think it, whenever it makes a sense to introduce something, well, form, Formula One and motorsports and premium motorsports, uh, you will never end up with any products that will end up on a real car. So the engines or the batteries or the e-motors will never end up on a real car. But we are very fast in putting in technology demonstrators and optimizing them because we are constantly optimizing. And motorsports has always been about efficiency. It's just how, 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 you, how you put together your goal that you determine efficiency. At the end of the day, it's not even optimizing the lap time it's optimizing the revenue and the money you get out of it by optimizing the lap time having a faster car you're more attractive to sponsors you're more attractive to your oem partner you get a better business case at the end of the day it's business but uh, motorsports teams don't spend stupid money i think that's a common misconception that's not money wasted if mercedes red bull ferrari could get their marketing value somewhere else uh for a cheaper price or a significantly higher value for the same money they're spending in motorsports, they are not stupid. They would go for it. And the, the efficiency term was really introduced, again, with, with the 2014 regulations into Formula One by saying, I only give you a limited amount of fuel. Before that, you had basically a limited amount of air that you, that you allowed into the engine. You could top that up with fuel. So uh, those engines were not fuel efficient, but they were the most efficient engines in the world with how much power you get out of a specific amount of air. Now we know air is not the problem, but fuel is the problem. So 2014 regulation says you get a specific amount of fuel. You get a maximum amount of fuel for the entire race and you get the maximum fuel flow rate of 100 kilograms an hour. So by that, per definition, the car that has, or the engine or the power unit that has the most power, that makes it out of a specific amount of primary energy, is the most efficient. 
And that's the same with aerodynamics. Uh, you, you, you sacrifice drag for downforce. It's about efficiency. You can build a car that has much more downforce, but at the cost of, uh, of, of, of drag, and then you have a slower. You want to make it most efficient, and our goal function is race around this given track. Uh, and finding more and more technologies that you want to have explored uh, within the realms of motorsport. Why, why would you want to do that within motorsports? Because you go through a product development cycle at least once a year, and you have several contestants who chase the same target, uh, and you get the instant feedback, which one is better and which one is worse. Let's talk about McLaren Applied now. Firstly, what drew you to the business? Because you spent, as I said, a long time at your previous employer with AVL. On the one side, it's now again closer to the race cars of things, a little bit further away, maybe from the from the from the core development or of the when when ideas get born, but closer again to to the racing. And the other thing, which is a very personal decision for me, uh, McLaren is an amazing brand. It is an amazing team. Uh, it has a this motorsport spirit throughout all of it. Um, the big change previously was being in charge of the relatively small racing division in a relatively big global corporation. Is it different than running the relatively big motorsports business unit in a relatively small uh, corporation? So that that's the other thing. And uh, it's here in England and you can live in London, which to me personally still is the greatest megacity in the world. So... Being born and raised in, 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 in midtown of Graz in Austria, which is a lovely town, a little bit shy of 300,000 people, lots of university students, and trading that easy life in uh, for a little bit big city lights is added to the amazement of moving here. It is an incredible spot, not only here at Victoria Gate, but also MTC. And Freya and I were lucky enough to have a tour around MTC uh, earlier this week and going into the production facility, I was shocked at just how many McLaren-applied logos exist on race cars, regardless of the manufacturer or team around the world. Was that a surprise for you too, entering into McLaren-applied? And when you start talking about motorsport with people who are maybe more fan-based and you say, well, yes, McLaren-applied supply this ECU for all of Formula One, all of NASCAR, all of IndyCar, is is that something that you can say with pride? Uh, Being almost 20 years in premium motorsports industry, that, that was no surprise at all because uh, on, on some of the parts, McLaren Applied was tech partner, maybe a customer, sometimes a competitor, uh, sometimes a supplier. So very well aware of what, what, what McLaren Applied was doing and the amazement, as you said, it of MTC. Uh, I think still of all the motorsports facilities in the world that I have seen, it's it's the most fancy one, the, the best, the most posh one. Still gives me goosebumps as of these days. So if, if I walk the boulevard and you see world championship winning cars uh, and you have Senna, Prost and Lauda car next to each other with the first MP4s in there, uh, where carbon fiber monocoques was, was pioneered by, by, by McLaren, you have Hunt's car, uh, you have the championship winning cars in there. So throughout all of that history and being that well on display. It's not just one, an old and a new car that you have in your entrance area. No, we show the entire heritage. And being able to show that around, and it, it gives you the complete motorsport spirit. And, and um, given my personal background, it's still lovely to see some of the cars that 
I've defeated on the track and some of the cars <laughs> that have defeated me on the track. So there is a lot of personal things against it. It's like, okay, you, you really had the better car in that year. Yeah. Yeah. We did get those goosebumps that you mentioned as we yep. came, came down and saw all of that, that heritage and incredible experience. As James mentioned, um, McLaren applied supplies, the ECUs to Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar. From your side, what are the differences in dealing with those three different categories? Uh, well, first of all, the show is completely different because the uh, customer persona is completely different. Uh, their market, it, it, the, there is one person sitting in a car with four wheels racing around a defined track and trying to be the fastest. I think that's the that's the major commonality uh, behind all of this. But uh, it all has has complete different aspects to it. For NASCAR, it's the wheel to wheel racing. How close you can race NASCARs to each other. If you think about restrictor plate races, they're driving bumper to bumper at almost 200 miles an hour. The sheer speed on the Indy car that they go if they do oval racing in the Indy 500, which I still think is the single biggest and best race in the world, but at the same time with the, with all the show around it, nothing is more American than the Indy 500. So um, the, the sheer speed that they are turning into a corner uh, is very amazing. And then, then the total performance and the overtaking with Formula One has a different aspect to it. And then uh, MotoGP, again, completely differently. The, 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 I think there is an underestimation of how good race drivers are because in your in simulator environment and if you drill that down to your playstation xbox or, or, or iRacing sim a lot of people that are good in that think they can could also handle the athletic aspect to it if you switch that over to MotoGP, if you just see the riders on the bikes i think the average person on the street is quite well aware that he could never pull off something like that so the athletic aspect or the visual athletic aspect of that is is, is very amazing and if you uh if you ever have the joy of driving in a simulator, and it doesn't even need to be an F1 simulator, just a Formula 3 or Formula 4 simulator, uh, the physical aspect to it, and it's only a simulator, you're missing all the G-forces through braking and cornering, just the aspect there. Do 20 laps and you are really tired and you are really sweaty. And that's that's far from the real thing. So there's the athletic aspect to everything that is that is uh, what makes the drivers really, really special. And... Uh, with the good drivers and the ones that we see in the premium motorsports, they, they don't make it there just because they have good sponsorship money. They are really the best in the world. And that's throughout NASCAR and IndyCar and Formula One and and and, and World Endurance Championship. Um, the repeatability and reproducibility and being able to adapt to changes on the car and feedback the changes that they want on the car. That is that is that is really amazing. You deal across many different categories, as we said, but you also send out a team to a lot of trackside events to try and assist. What's the purpose of, of those people on the ground and what are they doing across those different motorsport categories? Supporting the series and making sure that the show can happen. Uh, we love to bring brilliant technology, no matter if it's a software or sensors, high performance components or ECUs. But at the same time, we need to make sure that it doesn't only do a good job, but that it does work. And all of it is cutting technology, cutting edge technology, what our customers do, what we do, what the teams do, what the manufacturers do. Uh, there are loads of people that a race team has at the racetrack. Uh, some of them are not mission critical, but they are there to help in case repair the car, 
troubleshoot the car, bug fix the car, and just making sure the show happens. Because the race starts on the sun at 2 p.m. And if it doesn't start, you have no chance of winning. And that's for us, um, not only wanting to be a supplier, but being a tech partner to the industry, we have to make sure that if anything fails, we are there to troubleshoot it. And we are very proud that in, in, in all of these major race series, we've never missed a race because of an ECU failing. It's a very impressive statistic for sure. I, I, not out of luck or brilliant technology, but even more dedication of the people mm. that are there. Because if you do the complete race support, and it's it's a little bit worse for the people with us because you're having 23, this year only 22 races because one fell off the table, just to stay with the, with the example of Formula One. Uh, you have close to 40 races in other series. You are there every weekend. Uh, it's not an easy job. It's motorsports very often is pretty much hurry up and wait. So you have half an hour to fix something and then it's two hours where you can do nothing or you do things that working, working your mailbox. Yes, you can do that. But it's hurry up and wait and it's endless hours at the racetrack to make sure that everything is happening. It's a lot of traveling. A lot of the racetracks are remote locations. So being, being at the races is not as posh as visiting the race as a, as a guest to the paddock club because you start there at 6 a.m. And you, and you leave 10 p.m. You get four hours of sleep and then... It's the same thing over and over again. And then to our people, we make sure that the show happens. We share some of the excitement, but you can't share the full excitement as with the race team as of winning and losing. But therefore, we don't tend to lose, but we don't tend to, but we have no chance of winning. So part of the McLaren applied philosophy is the drive towards carbon neutrality and electrification. How important is motorsport in helping to drive that technology and development through to consumer products? In this development process, the purpose that motorsport can do, and if we set the regulations right, it will do, it is the technology demonstrator that flushes out which technology is most promising uh, and how you can optimize that. You can shave off three to four years in a development cycle. It's then for other people to go on with that and uh, industrialize it and market it into a consumer market. But uh, I think we're really good at doing that. Electrification is one of the aspects. And if we dial a little bit back, a couple of years back, we all thought electrification is going to be the future. But behind closed doors and not politicians listening in, we all were well aware it is part of the future. Electrification in order to... Uh, make mobility carbon neutral can't be the only answer. There are too many limitations to it. But electrification was there and there is a big thing of range anxiety and uh, charging and performance and how fun to drive is that car going to be. And I think there was a brilliant step forward in Formula E between Gen 1 and Gen 2. If we, if we think back in Gen 1, uh, drivers had to switch cars in the middle of the race, being able to do the race distance. Uh, we then put in the battery for the Gen 2 of Formula E, which is still being raced this season, uh, which had same performance, but twice the range. So we managed to race the full race distance without having to change the car in between. So in between these two um, homologation cycles, with just a few years of development, we could double the range of the battery for this racing purpose, which has a brilliant uh, aspect in marketing but also a lot of that of the insight that we gained there uh, was taken on by our industrial partner into his today's product um, and there we come again to the 
to, to the data side of things. If you think about the data, motorsports uh, is one of the industries that has the longest history in collecting all the data you can find. I mean, with, with, with people and scrapbooks and stopwatches to collecting the data to the first data acquisitions, which we put in with engine control units in the late 1980s into motorsport, we know... Uh, every mile that every car has ever driven, no matter if it's in pure simulation, on a dyno, on a test bed, on a road test, or on a racetrack. So we collect all of this. And gaining this insight throughout all the use cases just gives you a big advantage into what's happening to the technology. How good is the efficiency really? Uh, what does that mean for the aging of batteries? What does that mean for the total performance of a powertrain? What does it mean the influence under cold conditions, under hot conditions? So there are a lot of engineering insights that you can gain out of that, sort out core technologies. And then coming back to the math modeling side of things, um, your your smaller mathematical models, so your your simulation models, you can calibrate how you see uh, the observations you make in real life with new technology that you have introduced, that you can formulate equations and simulate and predict that. But also on the bigger side of things, where we where we tap into big data, uh, where you take all this 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 multitude of 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 billions of data points and gain some in, insight into this. So. Whilst we will not be racing any of the components that are on a race car, the tools and technologies, the methods, the processes and the tool chains we are evaluating and developing along the way, they are very relevant. And these insights into the modeling side of things help you very much to uh, be better prepared and have a more efficient customer product at the end of the day and spend your time and budget more wisely or more efficiently. You spend a long time around motorsport and you're witnessing at the moment, working in it at the at the highest level, the change that is happening. In your mind, what is the future for motorsport? The future. Uh, the ch- I, I love it always getting the, or very often getting the question uh, because we're now at the point of change. Yeah, it's every three to five years that we have the that moment of change. We had active aero, we had active suspension with ABS, we, we took that out again, we went hybrid, we went electrification. Uh, what's the biggest change to it? We will keep racing cars forever. Um, mankind has always raced their transport. And we do still, as of today, even if, if, if the method of transport has no longer practical means to us. We're still racing horses. We're not using horses every day. We are racing on foot. We are racing on bicycles. We are racing on sailing boats. Sailing boats is a sailing boat is a pure pleasure craft. Has no practical use whatsoever. We will be racing V8 push road petrol guzzling cars in the future because we love it and, and 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 we just love to do that. At the same time, putting proper regulations out there, it can also serve a bigger purpose and help us uh, answer questions uh, in a in the fastest time time possible compared to any other industry. But we can only answer questions. We can't we cannot we cannot sort out products that will be raised in the future. So what will the future hold? Uh, if you think about electrification, uh, we have mastered electrification. So uh, we went hybrid with with the first cursed generations in Formula One. Now there are a lot of hybrid race series out there. LMDH, the last one that's being introduced. Formula E was the first one to pioneer battery electric racing. 
now we have Extreme E, we have EGT coming up, we have so many battery electric race series coming up. So we just added that under our belt. That's to our portfolio. Whoever wants to race electric, there is now a multitude of race series. You want to go off-road, you want to go single-seater, you want to go a touring car, what do you want to do electric? Uh, we, we can offer it to you. I think the next question, if we, if we, if we now think the bigger picture of decarbonization of mobility uh, electric mobility or electromobility is not going to be the sole answer so what is going to be the sole answer is it going to be eco fuels is it going to be e-fuels is it going to be hydrogen we don't know there are pros and cons to it we haven't found the proper use case for it we know there are challenges in the technology where we can help is um help solve some of the challenges in the technology, help optimize it within a very specific use case. And our specific use case is being the fastest around a, around a corner, around a specific racetrack. Um, but then again, be, being the fastest is our use case and being the fastest there with, with early solutions. So we can help answer some of these questions. And then it's for the general industries to industrialize it and make product out of it and maybe for the politicians to adopt it probably in regulations and motivate people um, to go there. So the future is whatever is being asked from us. We love, not only as mathematicians, but as engineers in motorsports, we love the challenge. We love the challenge, whatever it comes up with. That That's also why you see the avenues and it's not only McLaren Applied, you have Williams Advanced Engineering, uh, you have the other avenues of other people that are out there that can diversify their specific IP, what they have learned. What they have learned is not really building their fastest race car because it changes with every regulation change, but adapting to the change. And whenever you get a, a new significant problem, uh, not inventing new technologies. We are not technology inventors. Technology gets invented at universities, research labs. There you have technology demonstrators. Basically, we don't do any research. We do a lot of development. Uh, what we do in motorsports is we look left and right, uh, new advancements in technology, new advancements in science, and we nick these ideas and apply it uh, in order to solve our problems and optimize our problems. By that, real research happens in research labs. That happens at universities. Uh, so this is why we need partners and why we're working with partners uh, to understand uh the research and then applying the research to the problems that we're having, optimizing the technology for the use case, learning how to optimize that. And that knowledge then can be passed on to other industries to solve their problems. And by that, we are shaving out a couple of years uh, of uh, the from a technology demonstrator to a consumer product. And this in the, in the biggest scheme of things where motorsports is relevant or even road relevant to the automotive industry. Speaking of the future, do you have advice for aspiring mathematicians potentially, those unsung heroes you're describing who might be considering applying their skills to the motorsport world? Be curious. Just be curious. Uh, never stop asking why. I think that's, that's, and that's not only limited to motorsport, that's the big value uh, in mathematicians is this curiosity and a different set of tools, having the ability to make a model out of it. To make a model means I take a real and constant problem that you can formulate in, ver in words and you mathematize that. You put it into mathematical terms. By that, you can describe it in something that is that becomes computable. Uh, ideally, if you're a good mathematician to the, to the, to the right degree, not not too low on complexity, not too high on complexity, being able to predict uh, and answer the question that is asked. Finally, 
McLaren Applied, as we sit at the moment, is on a massive hiring spree. For your not a massive hiring spree, that's a terrible way to ask it, a massive hiring uh, drive. From your team's point of view, what opportunities exist within McLaren Applied? All of them. All of them. Uh, bring some passion. No, I think what, what, what we're really looking for is the right personality. Um, future technologies and even technologies today are so diverse, no matter what your background is. And we're not limiting ourselves to, to, to classical engineers or physicists or data scientists or mathematicians. Uh, you need to have the right passion that you want to build something. Uh, don't come up and tell me what your management career is going to look like in five years, but do you want to be the part of something bigger? Do you want to change the world? Do you want to bring together with new partners, new products to the table? And that's a determination uh, that you see throughout all of motorsports. We all share the same passion, uh, which means at the end of the day, it's the driver that the, the, your driver should be the fastest around the track for the next Sunday and win the race, win, ideally win the championship, ideally win multiple championships. <laughs> but in order for that to happen, it takes your whole team and everybody's doing their best on their levels. But, uh, and, and, and I think for a lot of industrial companies, it's harder to formulate that goal and visualize that simple goal. It's the Sunday race. Everybody knows and gets the feedback if on the Sunday race we're doing well or not within motorsports. So formulating our strategic target in, in the big or grand scheme of things is very easy. But bring that passion that whatever you bring to the table uh, in, in, in your excitement and in your education and your experience, you want to be a part of it and do the best that you can do to make this entire thing a success and be better than the others. It's very clear that you have that passion yourself. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time. Uh, we can't wait to see what is next for your team at McLaren Applied. Thank you. Well, massive thank you, of course, to Matthias Dank for spending some time with chatting with us. Freya, so many cool stories. And I just cannot believe how many McLaren applied parts are in so many different cars in all kinds of motorsport. Absolutely. Whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, Extreme E, it's there. Next episode, we chat all about McLaren applied software, Atlas. It's what you see when you cross to a pit wall in Formula One, all of the telemetry, all of the data. It's a phenomenal piece of kit and we get to find out more about it. That's in next week's episode of Inside McLaren Applied. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And from Freya Brolsma and myself, we'll see you next time. 